Welcome back to Lisa Scale, a podcast about building businesses and scaling ideas. I am your host, Toby Daniels. On this week's episode, we have Aoife McGuinness, neuroscience consultant at Hey Human. During the conversation, we talked about her time as part of the innovation team at Hey Human, where she began her research into multi-sensory overload and its effect on marketing. And we also discussed some of the mistakes that brands are making in regards to their approach to storytelling. And we also explored some common misconceptions that people have when looking to understand what's really going on in our brains when we engage on social media. The study of neuroscience has always really fascinated me, especially in the context of how social media and technology is literally rewiring our brains. And so based on this conversation, I think that you are going to get a ton out of what Aoife had to say. Huge thanks to you for listening. And as always, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Lisa Scale on your favorite podcasting app. Have a great day and enjoy the conversation. On the podcast today, we are joined by Aoife McGuinness, who is a neuroscience consultant at Hey Human. Welcome to the podcast, Aoife. Thank you so much for joining. Hey there. So uh, to kick us off, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, the, uh, the story behind your time at Hey Human. And uh, also just give us a sense of like, you know, how you came to the neuroscience space in the first place. Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess my route is a little different from other neuroscientists. Um, I started out in advertising in an innovation role. And my job was really looking at how we can use tech to enhance the human experience. Um, and I guess back in this time, it was really much really kind of a case of let's add as much tech as possible without asking questions like you know why or if we can or if we should and uh you know if, if this is helpful for humanity or not and i think it kind of reached a kind of tipping point with the kind of influx of messaging and social um where it was all getting a bit too much and the question started to turn and said okay well what is all this technology doing to us and, and i guess essentially our brains um, and around the same time, I was generally always been very fascinated with kind of psychology, behavioral economics um, and neuroscience. I kind of decided, well, you know, this is really fascinating for me. And I think the future is going to really lie in this kind of um, kind of nexus between, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, technology and uh, behavior. And so I decided to go back to school and uh, really focus on neuroscience. So. Uh, I guess one of my other passions is kind of like multi-sensory um, kind of experiences. So I focused uh, my research um, on kind of multi-sensory perception. Um, and so during my um, time, kind of uh, during my master's, I was in a multi-sensory research group and I focused my research around kind of uh, actually looking at surrealist imagery and kind of the effect on the brain and stuff like that. So yeah, it was really interesting um, and I guess kind of somehow ended back, uh, back uh, kind of, you know, full circle back into advertising afterwards. So um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it was quite an interesting journey. And I think it gives me a, a different perspective today had I not gone on that path. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so, so many things that, that you, you sort of touched on in, in terms of, um, you know, why this was a sort of interesting space for you and what drew you into it in the first place. And that there are a lot of kind of parallels, I think, to, 
um, you know, social media week's uh, uh, founding story and, 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 you know, some of the reasons why, you know, from a personal perspective, you know, I was so sort of interested in um, social media and the role and impact it was having on people's lives and, and how it was sort of impacting society and culture and changing human behavior. And at the root of all of that is this just this idea that like technology always has and will continue to play a fundamental role in terms of how human beings connect and communicate. And I think, you know, the past like decade or, or sort of 15 years or so has, has just been, you know, such an extraordinary period of change, um, almost to the to the, um, you know, to the detriment of, of uh, the human experience and, and to society in some respects, but also there are, you know, many extraordinary kind of facets to to what, what has happened as well. And, and what I want to do is I, I just want to go back a little bit and just sort of talk about the, the, sort of the, the timeline. So w when was it that you first started to become kind of interested? Like what, what year was that? Uh, when I first started becoming interested in the kind of neuroscience Mm -hmm. And in particular, the, the sort of, you know, and in, in the relationship between kind of technology and, and how technology is kind of like impacting, uh, impacting the brain. Yeah, it would have been, I guess, 2014, 2015. Got it. Got it. So, yeah, so that that's, sort of, you know, that that really feels I think that 2014, 2015 was a sort of like a, a really interesting turning point. You know, I think it's when we really started to sort of think, OK, this isn't necessarily um gonna fulfill this like promise and potential of, of only being a sort of a, a positive thing in our lives we have to start to look very closely at the ways in which it could potentially be detrimental um and and so you know back then like what what was sort of some of the things that you were looking at and, and researching and then you know what, what what sort of journey have you been on from a research standpoint sort of since then and what, what are some of the kind of the most interesting or important things that you have discovered over that time yeah, so I think, um, I guess it was kind of 2014. So again, on this innovation team uh, I was working on, um, it was actually a colleague of mine who had kind of raised that fundamental question, you know, what is all this tech doing to us? Um, and then from there, we kind of embarked on a um, kind of a, let's say, uh, a journey on, into the neuroscience world. And um, we actually at that point had, um, kind of uh, been in touch with um, kind of academic university and contracted to do some research with them. And that was around essentially kind of uh, multi-tasking uh, or kind of, you know, task switching as it was. And we were kind of concerned about, you know, if people are no longer just looking at, you know, watching TV anymore, they're now on their phone, on their laptop and stuff, how is that affecting um, their recall of uh, messaging? And it turns out what we kind of discovered there was that um, when when we are cognitively overloaded, the normal structures of kind of memory um, are break down essentially. And so you get this kind of cognitive collapse when people are um, kind of not reprocessing anything, but just kind of like I, I dawdling in this kind of state of lots of sen sensory kind of um, overload. Um, and so that was kind of like, wow, this is actually huge. This is this is going to really change um, advertising, right? You know, our, our usual model of input, people listen, output is changing. Of course, we never had people undivided attention, but now we have it even less so. Um, so the, I guess that was the first thing. It was kind of like, okay, and it was it was through that we had done, you know, looked kind of did a bit of desk research on um, even stuff like, you know, they've said that 
when we had uh, black and white TV, apparently people used to dream in black and white. Um, and, you know, uh, so there's just stuff about how, you know, how much technology actually affects our experience. And I guess the thing is at the time, you know, we were just accepting all this wearable tech, accepting all these things without saying, is this changing us? Is this gonna, you know, change us fundamentally? Um, and then again, since then, uh, kind of when I went on to kind of pursue kind of more, um, uh, let's say, uh, lab-based academic stuff, um, the, the, the question was still kind of around, you know, well, what, what kind of, um, yeah, what are the neural processes that underpin kind of memory and attention? Um, and then I guess, I guess, flipping back to then um, coming back into advertising um, a human, um, the thing we've been looking at in the last year is essentially cognitive load. And we've been looking at, you know, actually, it's not good business either to do the amount of messaging we're doing it because essentially, as we've seen, that what what's happening to people is that um, if they're too overloaded, they're not going to remember something. And we found actually that cognitive load is a better indicator than engagement into um, kind of further recall, which is kind of insane because all we talk about in social is engagement, how engaged they are, but actually neurologically, maybe that's not essential for memory. Maybe something else is, you know, and it's not the full picture about how we actually um, process stuff. So I guess it's just, it's having more kind of awareness of, you know, we have finite amount of processing and um, not only do we have a responsibility as kind of communicators to um, you know, manage the amount of influx of messaging people are getting, but it's also good business to do so because you know uh, if you have an understanding of of this kind of um, yeah, kind of the state of um, maximum capacity people are at, and if you make messages to cut through in that, you're going to be more successful. So there's, there's so much to unpack there. So let, let me just go through a, a few, uh, I think, kind of you know, key, key questions to sort of help the listeners really sort of understand some of the kind of the points that you're making here. So, so let's, let's just go back a second, because uh, there are some sort of aspects to kind of like, you, you know, your your story that I think um, will tie nicely into this. So um, w one area of, of your focus is looking at the kind of the neuroscience of storytelling. So can, can you sort of talk talk through that and, and help us understand what, what that really is? Yeah, so I guess um, Hey Human are a behavioral communications agency. And, and as the name would suggest, we are all around kind of reconnecting with people. Um, and a big part of that is through storytelling. Um, so I guess for us, our approach always is kind of, you know, storytelling is one of the most connective ways to communicate. You know, th there's a reason why TED Talks, you're, they're forced to open with a story. That's kind of one of the requirements um, for, for TED Talks. Um, and I guess for us, storytelling is such a broad term and it can mean a lot of different things, um, but it doesn't necessarily follow the traditional, uh, you know, beginning, middle, end of a typical you know, um, a typical story, you may say, and it's kind of more around narrative. For us, storytelling is really kind of through narrative and how we use our kind of understanding of kind of different cognitive biases, you know, different things we know that connect with people. Um, for example, um, language. So if I start to say, I mean, um, kind of start talking about kind of uh, sensory language. So uh, if you say to someone, I had a rough day, we know that's more connective than saying I had a bad day because rough starts to activate different sensory parts of the brain that kind of, you know, bring that more to life. 
for you. Um, so I guess it's an understanding of, you know, different um, kind of language processing, different kind of visual processing um, to make sure that our visual and kind of um, verbal stories are, you know, the most uh, connected they can be. And it's also through kind of an understanding of the various kind of neurotransmitters or kind of hormones that drive emotional engagement. So we know, for example, things like, um, you know, anticipation before kind of a plot twist or, you know, before a big reveal, you know, that drives dopamine and we kind of, we really like that. Um, or when there's some kind of human connective story um, kind of story, we know that there's a lot of oxytocin, which is the kind of bonding hormone that like mothers get with their babies. And so there's certain things you can do through traditional narratives, or even if it's literally just through kind of verbal and kind of um, visual, more shorthand storytelling that can make it more collective. So I guess we bring it kind of full circle into various different types of, um, let's say, storytelling. Um, but it's, I guess, everything we do is storytelling. It's just kind of in different, uh, in different forms. What, what, what are some of the mistakes that you see brands making in regards to their approach to storytelling and in, in regards to how they the, how they sort of connect and engage people through the stories that they tell and through the content that they put out specifically through social media yeah i think i think one of the, the things is, is is kind of often um if, if it doesn't feel realistic you know if it doesn't feel personable if it's kind of um you know not really connecting with people not really you know often so often brands are, are really just using social as a kind of a smaller version of their kind of above the line and not really using it as a you know this is this is kind of a conversational this is where you can kind of like let let down your hair a little bit and be and be a bit more personable be a bit more uh, human let's say um you know i guess in a way um you know, social media is the ultimate, you know, fly on the wall that we probably always hope we had and in like an insight in people's lives and who they really are. And I guess people are hoping that from brands as well. You know, we don't want to just see who what I see on their website on social. You want to kind of almost have a glimpse into something a bit more private about the brand. So I think it's about being kind of authentic and stuff that's actually going to connect to the audience and not putting up this fake facade of like, yeah hyper polished and i don't know you can kind of just tell when some brands are just yeah and they don't get the engagement they don't get the you know and the success on social because people yeah and it doesn't feel real it doesn't feel real to people what, what do you think are some of the common misconceptions that people have when looking to understand what's really going on in our brains particularly when we're sort of connecting through social media and we're connecting um, through storytelling? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, I think one of the misconceptions generally when, when, you, when you start to look at neuroscience and apply it to um, something uh, kind of more, um, yeah, people facing is, you know, we don't, there's not one center in the brain that's responsible for storytelling. There's not one center of the brain that's responsible for advertising. Um, so I think it's about kind of having a nuanced approach, like, you know, breaking it down into, you know, what we can actually look at, you know, there's, there's certain things we can and cannot measure um, by looking at the brain. Um, I think often as well, uh, neuromarketers have the tendency to kind of overpromise on what we can tell from the brain and what we cannot, you know, there's obviously been huge advancements 
in the last 30 or so years in terms of you know what we've been able to um, glean from um, in neuroscience in terms of consumer behavior predicting purchasing patterns and kind of insight but there's still a lot of limitations and you know I guess the more you know the less you know in some sense um, so yeah I think there's with it it's always with a pinch of salt that any anything we do with with neuroscience, applying it to applying it to the arts, um, and I think it's 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 important to be have a bit of uh, to be humble in terms of uh, you know with the brain and our knowledge and what we can tell and what we cannot tell. How th this I think is is really interesting, particularly in terms of where we are today, and our sort of complicated relationship with technology and social media and 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 the sort of the feeling that people have. That that there are the, the the sort of feeling of being overwhelmed and the anxiety that people um, are experiencing um, because of how much time they're spending on social media and and how they're connecting, um, you know, to social media. Um, how important is it that people really understand what's actually happening to them? What's happening in their brains as they connect and engage and consume? Yeah, that's a it's a really important question. I think I think it's I think there's a big job to be done in education. I mean, those in the know know you know within. I mean, it has got to mainstream media with you know the dopamine. You know, every time we have a red notification, what that does, how it's addictive, how it's like sugar, how it plays on the same reward pathways. You know, so it has it has got into you know BBC documentaries. It has got into in the mainstream but I think it has to be probably you know as far as getting into education to have a bit more of an understanding you know it's kind of as with any new new thing we all hop on it and then we have to understand okay well we need to limit this we have to know the effects of it um but it's, it's a tricky one because you know even if you're aware of these cognitive biases and even if you're aware of these things you still fall trapped to them so it's it's a really tricky one, you know. I'm I'm well aware of why I go on Instagram. What does you know? I even put my phone to grayscale sometimes because I know that I'm just craving a little bit of color and uh, visual candy when I go on it. And I and I when I put up my phone on grayscale, I know I go on less, but at some point I'll flick it back because I'm missing the color. So I don't know, you know. It, I think it's a bit naive to say education is is all because I think the the whole the reason why you know these platforms are so successful is. The point that we cannot control we're not consciously all the time you know making rational decisions eight percent of our decisions are kind of this subconscious and we're being led by this kind of you know this this alt this kind of let's say um more childlike um yeah more childlike control um so yeah i guess it's there's some things like you know setting controls to be locked out of platforms after a certain time which is already existing um yeah, it's 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 a tricky one because I think it's 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 on the side of the platforms and it's on the side of the individual as well. I think. Yeah, this this is you know the the big debate right now that we're having extensively you know through, through our conferences in some cases and and you know also in a number of sort of you know um, closed door sort of discussions with with key industry leaders um, and the the the. At one aspect, I think, of the conversation that comes up a lot or of, of the argument is, you know, what is digital addiction really? And, and are we actually um, on mass and as a society addicted to these technologies or um, is that entirely the wrong way of, of thinking about it? And instead, are we are we just overusing? 
Um, and and th there is one argument that I think is very interesting. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, which is that um, addiction is a pathology and therefore only a very small percentage of the population are truly addicted and need to be um, supported and cared for and um, be provided with the, the tools to be able to um, you know, to cope with and, and deal with, with their addictions, regardless of whether we're talking about social media or, or something else. Um, the rest of us, um, you know, are, are just simply overusing and that um, if we just took five to 10 minutes, we could actually put in place some measures that would, um, um, m you know, encourage us or help us to use social media significantly less, you know, turning off notifications, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Like, in particular, the, the, the phrasing of digital addiction and whether you think that's appropriate and helpful. Um, and, and then, you know, also, you know, w w what are some of the things that we should be doing, particularly in terms of how we can kind of um, train our brains um, in such a way to, to um, um, you know, with, with potentially a sort of a more positive outcome in mind? Yeah, um, so I think the the you know the uh, semantics of addiction is quite important because yeah, I mean I I guess for um, a lot of people addiction it tends to only be a problem. Addiction is when it it gets in the way of your quality of life. So when it stops you from performing daily tasks, right? And so that would be within with other uh, substances, um, what have you. So I guess the same definition should apply to to digital, right? So it should only be an addiction if it's getting in the way of you fulfilling your daily task and it's kind of affecting your quality of life. Um, so I, so overuse, I guess, would be a um, probably a more correct term for, for most of people. Um, however, I think it's also the kind of um, the idea of how, you know, how we can control it, how much um, autonomy we have to control it ourselves. And, and it's a tricky one with social because it never feels like it's, you know, bad it never feels or kind of digital generally it never feels like too much of this you just feel like you've kind of not spent your time well but it doesn't you know there's no kind of massive adverse kind of reaction or problems as a result of it um then in terms of you know things we can do to kind of help help ourselves i've left it i mean as i'm as i'm here i have my phone already uh, a headspace notification that like pops up at me <laughs> and you know i i must admit i you know downloaded it and just have not really been using it and there are you know notifications a couple of times a day checking in on me to see if i'm good um but you know, maybe maybe something similar needs to happen when I'm on Instagram, you know, like or maybe Headspace needs to be able to control my Instagram app and go, listen, stop this for five minutes. And you know, I mean, one of the ads I get on Instagram is actually for another app called Cam, and I actually really enjoy them. It's just like ten seconds of breathing and rain, and you're like, wow, I felt really good with that. Um, so yeah, it, it's a tricky one. I think some type of, you know, yeah kind of setting limits on phones for like how long you've been on that, you know, even even on kind of iPhone where you can see the time spent on your phone, like when you see how long you spend, you're like, oh God, but it's really good because as soon as you start to see how long you're spending, you're like, okay, well, I'm going like, to cut down on this. This is too much. Um, so yeah, I mean, as I said, kind of one of the other things I mentioned before was putting it, uh, putting your phone on grayscale. I think that helps a lot. You definitely really, like, as soon as you start using any social platform on grayscale, you're like, oh my God, this is so boring. 
um, you realize how much color plays an effect into your um, your kind of emotional and cognitive engagement. Um, so yeah, um, one of the things we're not really being aware of as well is like, we've become so connected to everybody that we don't think twice about sending an email or messaging someone. We don't think about it's gonna, you know, this is not only actually taking real energy, you know, you know, they say one Google search is like a light bulb on for 10 minutes or something. So it's taking real energy in the world, but it's also taking headspace. Like, do you need to interrupt this person? Is it worth it? And I think we've started, we've, we've, we've kind of come to believe that anything we do online is costless in terms of like mental effort and also physical energy. And I think we need to change that. I think that I think more of an awareness of, you know, of people's mental capacity and, and you know uh, I've heard of email services that you know you can send an email but it only delivers to the person when they actually open up their box and go okay I want to be interrupted rather than so you have a more autonomy on an interruption because I think it's really it's important that we safeguard our yes our, our kind of um, our mental uh, capacity otherwise it's too much right related to that is something called mindkind what, what what is that specifically is that is that a methodology that hey human has developed yeah i guess this is kind of came out of the last couple of years when we were kind of toying between you know we kind of had this term before like brain friendly and you know how do we make content that is kind of recognizes that people are overloaded in a world of digital and social and and it's about you know it's about being kind to people's minds, essentially. So I guess um, the idea is that we make content that um, connects, that's engaging, that's interesting, but is also kind of responsible, let's say. It's kind of, you know, um, it, it doesn't, um, yeah, it doesn't abuse our knowledge of how people um, engage with stuff. It doesn't manipulate, it doesn't anything. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of a fair, a fair human um human to brand kind of relationship let's say so it's kind of our ethos for essentially everything we do communications wise got it and 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 what what are the ways in which like what are the ways in which you sort of apply this to to your work and 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 specifically to the services that you're providing your clients yeah so um so i guess one of the things we do is like we have this like cognitive load um measure that we're we're kind of quite uh strict on and anytime that you know we put through any of our work through kind of various different um, yeah, tests and some of them are automatic, some of them are more kind of like research led. Um, and it's about kind of, you know, how can we simplify this? How can we reduce the messaging? Um, you know, essentially most of the time is like, how can we make this less overloading? How can we say it with less words? How can we, you know, uh, maybe take less of people's time to say the same message? I mean, one of our things at the moment is really like, you know, I've always had a kind of an issue with uh, slamming people with uh, kind of content that doesn't really connect with them. Um, and it's, you know, they, it's the, you know, they say hit, hit them hard enough with a message and they'll soon get it. And, and I just don't believe that's true. Um, and for us, kind of using kind of neuroscience measures, we can kind of have more of an insight into what really connects with people. And I believe if you make content that connects with people well, they don't have to be exposed to it as often because it will have connected with them better. So you can interrupt them less. And uh, generally, that's more mind kind. Um, so I think it's about being that, you know, it's, it's kind of having treating people not as uh, not as kind of, you know, just an audience that you can kind of throw everything at and, and actually as individuals, as humans with a limited headspace and and kind of rethinking of whether you need to do something or not. And, you know, brief finite amount of kind of messaging and just being more pointed with it and being more clever, I think, as well.
We interrupt this week's episode of Leads to Scale to share an update in regards to our forthcoming conference in London. The 10th annual edition of Social Media Week London, Europe's premier conference for media and marketing professionals, is taking place at the QE2 Conference Center in Westminster between October 31st and November 1st. This year's event will continue the 2019 global theme stories with great influence comes great responsibility, a conversation that will explore how social media has become the most influential story platform in the world that has the power to both unite and divide us. Check out our first wave of speakers and secure your pass by visiting socialmediaweek.org forward slash London. And don't forget to use the code leads number two scale at the checkout to save an additional 10% off your pass. All right, let's get back to the show. We are very fortunate that you will be speaking at Social Media Week in London coming up in October. Um, in fact, you are veterans of the Social Media Week world in, in that you've presented. Um, I think at least three times over the last uh, few years. Um, we always love the content you bring and, and the talks that you and Neil deliver. And we're especially excited about uh, this year's session. So can you give us a little bit of a sneak peek as to what you're going to be talking about and presenting at the, uh, at the up upcoming Social Media Week in London? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're really excited to be back, and it's a it's always an important important date in our calendar every year. We love being involved. Um, and I guess yeah. So this year, this was actually really great for us to have the theme this year, um, because it really helped us, you know, to tell our to tell our hey human story, as I kind of mentioned before. Um, so for for us, what we're going to be kind of really um focusing in on is this idea of kind of narrative, and the various different ways in which we can kind of connect with people and um, kind of, so we're going to kind of take you on a journey inside the brain, um, kind of at the start, kind of go, go quite um, broad. So it's going to be, you know, definitely talk for people who have no understanding currently of neuroscience or anything. So we're going to hopefully kind of guide you on that. We're going to do things a little bit different. Um, hopefully you won't see any slides. Maybe we're going to, uh, you know, you know, they always say that if, if storytelling is the most connective way to uh, to communicate with people, why have we why have we have PowerPoint slides? The most un, un, unattractive and unengaging way to communicate. So let's see, watch this space. There may be a new way of a new way of telling our story. So yeah, I guess we're gonna get be a little creative with it um, and kind of yeah bring you on a bring you on a journey of kind of you know the interesting bits of, of storytelling through kind of various different neuroscience psychology insights and then kind of you know really bring that to life in the modern modern day era you know so kind of touching on as we've kind of mentioned uh you know kind of our kind of current um current uh, topical issues um you know whether that is kind of through fake news deep fakes you know why they're why they're so connective how we can be lured into the um the the, the trap of believing something and kind of yeah kind of touching on you know um our brand role in the storytelling you know through very simple ways and then through obviously back to social and and kind of um you know what is our kind of recommendations for storytelling on social um whether you're a big brand a small brand um how can you do it in a responsible way and in a way that's kind of connected with your audience so yeah there's going to be lot, lots of different bits we're going to touch on so 
hopefully it's going to be uh, yeah engaging and uh, educational. So one of the things that we um, are working on at the moment is our theme for 2020, which I'm not going to specifically talk about, but I'll, I'll sort of allude to uh, in, in a question that I'd love to hear your thoughts about. So we've obviously touched on a lot in this co conversation about sort of the role of neuroscience and, and how we can be using the methodology of neuroscience to, to, to tell better stories, to engage people, to move people into action um, in much more effective ways. Um, but, but one of the things that we're looking closely at at the moment is this idea that we are facing a crisis in human attention. And, and I think you've sort of alluded to this and, and, and touched on, on this fact a number of different times. So I'm just I'm interested to hear your thoughts on like what are some of the kind of the practical things that we should be doing um, as we think about this crisis in human attention as brands and as storytellers to better engage um, people through social media? Yeah, so it definitely, yeah, the, the crisis in human attention, I think, as you kind of mentioned before, has been a central point to a lot of our kind of work and research. Um, and I think it really just goes back to, I guess, our mind kind approach. I mean, just being aware that um, people are overloaded and being responsible with for the messages we, we kind of we send out. Um, maybe they'll be kind of in time, you know, so kind of automated kind of uh, checks on content before you send them out like okay this is too overloading or um you know this yeah there might be certain ways of kind of yeah it, could, it might be that you know um ads are only displayed on social at certain times a day when people are less overloaded it could be at you know busy commuter times when people don't want to be when they're too tired and they're too vulnerable to messaging then maybe we don't show advertising because it's it's not a fair it's not a fair game you know um i think there's just going to be more of an awareness of the vulnerability of people um and messaging um and kind of more responsibility from the end of the communicators and brands to kind of um you know deliver messages in a fair way that um are kind of connective but they don't kind of manipulate Awesome. This is a perfect way to wrap up the conversation. Aoife, thank you so much for joining. Thank you again for uh, agreeing to participate and speak at Social Media Week in London. Uh, listeners will be able to uh, check out that particular talk. Um, Social Media Week in London is happening, of course, October 31st, November 1st. Um, where can people find out more information about you and Hey Human? Yeah, so you can uh, check out heyhuman.com. And uh, we have, yeah, a lot of information about our neuromarketing approach there. And you can also uh, get me on Twitter. Um, you can probably best through Hey Human, but yeah, um, it's kind of like underscore, underscore, underscore Aoife and Aoife spelled A-O-I-F-E. Wonderful. Aoife, thank you again for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Toby. Thanks for the invite. Looking forward to uh, London edition. Thank you for listening to Leads to Scale, a podcast from Social Media Week. Leads to Scale is edited and produced by Al Manorino. For the latest news and insights, or to learn more information about how to get involved with future Social Media Week events, please visit socialmediaweek.org.